Blog Talk Radio. Ignite your life with passion and purpose. Your health, your wealth, your happiness. Make it good. This is Modern Love with Dr. Brenda Wade. A big thank you to Rainbow Grocery, our favorite grocery store here in the San Francisco Bay Area, for being our sponsor, because a healthy body is a sexy body. Hello, modern lovers, and speaking of unleashing all of your energy and being in that sexy mind-body-spirit confluence that we love to talk about here, Valentine's Day is one week away. And it's time for you to shift into gear with modern love. And tonight is part two of our four-part series, Jump Start Your Love. And we want you to jump start tonight, really focusing on the question, what if you could time travel back in your past and improve your love life today? Hmm, interesting question. Well, what does the past have to do with your love light today? Love life today. Tonight's guest is the president of Soul Shift Incorporated. Her name is Michelle Nagel, and she's committed to making the world a better, happier place for everyone in it. She's a transformational trainer, master herbalist, energy therapist, and she's been leading workshops for over 15 years, encouraging people to take responsibility for their health and their emotional well-being. Well, what does that have to do with your love life? Well, her recent book, Suffering is Optional, Step Out of Darkness into Light is a guide to help you identify and overcome past traumas so you can live a vibrant and fulfilled life. Now, that may sound strange to you, but I can tell you that I've spent the past 30 years working on how The past does impact relationships. Michelle's been on that train through years of study. She's developed a process called Soul Shift that encourages people to overcome the limiting beliefs, the negative patterns that keep them from a more fulfilling life, especially their love lives. And that's where we come in. All right, welcome to the show, Michelle Nagel. How are you tonight? I'm very well. Thank you, Dr. Brenda. Now, am I saying your last name right? Isn't Nagel? Nagel, I was going back and forth. It's Nagel. Good. Okay, got it right. Now, first of all, Michelle, you say that your own childhood wounds had something to do with you getting on this path to soul shifting and helping others to heal and transform their lives. Yes, it did. I had um, a very painful childhood uh, full of all forms of abuse. And when I grew up, as I was going through my teenage years, um, I met a young man that I, uh, he was wonderful. He probably could walk on water. He was that good. Um, And I fell in love with him. But so many things happened that made it so that I couldn't stick to him. For one thing, he was like nothing I had ever known before. And I was used to somebody who was 
putting me down, who was uh, saying, you know, bad things to me. That's what I was used to. And so because I didn't have that in that relationship, that relationship fell apart. Mm. Interesting, Michelle, because in a way it's almost as if you didn't have receptor sites for a good love. Right. I had not had any, I'd never had it patterned for me. I'd never witnessed it in anybody else's relationship before. Now, for those who are new to our show, you know, uh, let me just fill you in right now. Our old timers know that I'm a big old geek here, and I always stand on neuroscience. And for those who are curious about the scientific underpinnings of what Michelle is saying, Do I have to say it for the hundredth time on our show, whatever you can see, hear, touch, taste, and smell prior to the age of nine goes directly into your brain and forms the limbic part of the brain, the emotional part of the brain, and patterns it. There are literal patterns in your brain for everything we do repetitively, or if we see it, hear it, touch it, taste it, smell it repetitively. So, Michelle, when you say patterns, you literally mean those neurological patterns as well as the emotional, mental patterns that they give rise to. So when you started to discover that your childhood could be running your life, how did you make that discovery? Well, it was actually a very traumatic experience. Um, I had gotten married to the the man that my brothers chose for me, and um, he was an abusive person. He continued the abusive pattern, so I was comfortable in that because that's all I knew. And one day, our our small child, our daughter, was screaming at the top of her lungs because she had croup. And I'm not croup, but she had colic. And she just kept crying and crying and crying, and I couldn't get her to stop crying. It didn't matter what I did for her. And I was standing at the top of the stairs, and I had this this weird, almost out-of-body experience where I watched me throw her down the stairs. Of course, I didn't. This is just me watching her as I imagine it. And I felt like I had this raging monster inside of me that was like, like the Hulk, trying to scream and claw its way out. And at that moment, I knew that my daughter was in terrible danger and I took her and I put her gently in her crib I closed the door went into my bedroom and picked up the phone and I called for help because I knew that if I had if I had thrown her down the stairs of course I could have possibly killed her but then I would have been also reliving the same kind of patterning that I had had as a child and I didn't want my children to have that kind of a life Hmm, of course not Of course not. So when we have those trauma patterns, and I'll tell you, I've only met a handful of people in my life who didn't have them, and those who didn't have them in childhood, unfortunately, usually end up with some sort of trauma later in life because it seems to be part of everyone's life. None of us escape without pain, without trauma, and I believe firmly that it's part of life because it helps us to grow. And you may be on that page, you may not, but I'm just curious, once you made that discovery and started getting help, what did your journey look like? 
I went to a counselor who gave me the greatest gift that I have ever received in my entire life. And I realized I was 19 years old, so I was a young mother. And she told me that what I was doing is I was I was living out and reenacting the patterning that I'd had. She taught me about patterning. I did not know about it before. And so then I began to study everything I could get my hands on. I uh, started with John Bradshaw's books and then went on to study about codependency. And I studied about uh, attachment disorder and just about every psychological study that I could get my hands on, I studied it because I wanted to understand more about myself. And more than anything else in the world, my biggest goal was to make sure that I did not continue the process of abuse in my family. I wanted to be, I wanted to be the buck stops here, and it's never going to happen to anybody else ever again. Dr. Brenda? Hello, can you hear me? I can hear you. Ah, I can now. <laughs> I was talking away there, must have hit that mute button. Oh. So you said there's a wall in your book. You talk about a wall where our love programming is kept. Mm-hmm. Tell us what that wall has to do with the love programming and how that relates to this childhood programming we've been talking about. Well, when we are born... Every one of us comes to Earth with this beautiful blank slate. It has nothing on it. We come to Earth with no expectations, no beliefs, nothing. We're just a complete blank, beautiful slate. And then the people who raise us are busy inscribing their beliefs, their expectations, and their desires for us on that wall. And um, sometimes the things that they write on there are very useful and very helpful. But sometimes the the things that they write on there are not helpful. They may have been helpful when I was five years old, but they're not helpful as an adult. For example, uh, you know, telling a child that they can't cross the street without somebody holding their hand is completely appropriate at three or four years old. But it's not appropriate if what I got, what I heard in that messaging was that I wasn't smart enough to cross the street by myself then when I'm offered a job later on, perhaps I hear this little echo in the back that says, you're not smart enough to do that by yourself. And that came merely because I was told not to cross the street by myself. That's a positive thing, but those are artifacts. Those are, you know, the don't cross the street by yourself is not appropriate anymore. And so I don't need to have it on my wall And that's something that I can choose to erase and write over with something else. Like, yes, you are smart enough to cross the street by yourself. And then how does that affect us in our love lives? Because you started out talking about choosing someone who was really good and not being able to stay in that relationship, but later going into a relationship with someone that matched your programming. Yes. That, if you... If when you are a child, you are constantly put down and you have all this negative input or you have taken your self-esteem and based it upon the negative input from other people because 
that's what self-esteem is, is we, how we look at ourselves based on the input that we get from other people. And if we have positive input, then we're going to be much more likely to look for somebody who continues to give us a positive input. But if we've received a negative input, and then when we grow up and we're not getting it anymore, we either have to start beating ourselves up or we have to go find somebody to do it for us so that we can feel comfortable again. Right. So we believe we deserve to be beaten up based on our programming, whether it's verbal, emotional, or God forbid, you know, it's also possibly physical. We're simply looking for a match for what we believe love is. Is that what you're saying? That is what I'm saying, that we believe whatever, whatever we feel we are worth is what we will seek for because we all want to be comfortable. Nobody likes to be uncomfortable, and so if you're in a relationship with a person who is not giving you the kind of feedback that you want or that you're accustomed to, then you're very uncomfortable in that relationship, and it won't last very long. So what is the Adverse Childhood Experiences Study? In 1998, there was a doctor in Kaiser Permanente in California that was asking questions regarding an obesity study that he was doing. And he made the mistake because he was tired. He'd seen 100 patients that day or something like that. But uh, he looked at the questions, and he asked the question incorrectly. The question that that he did ask was, how old were you when you were first became sexually active, and the woman said five. And he thought, whoa, what? And so he looked at his his uh, clipboard, and then he did it again. He asked it wrong again. And she said, I was five. It was my daddy. And so he then had this astonishing revelation that that the underlying cause of so many of the health issues that we have are these adverse childhood experiences that we have. So they came up with a list of 10, and it was taken over by the Center for Disease Control. They, they have a list of 10 most common forms of adverse childhood experiences, and then they grade people according to uh, from 0 to 10, and the higher the number that you have of childhood adverse childhood experiences, the more problems that you're going to have in interpersonal relationships and with health outcomes in the future. And I I have to say, I have to tag in that what we now call ACEs, adverse childhood experiences. These aren't the kind of ACEs you want in your hand, anybody, but these ACEs are, as Michelle is saying, very, very clear predictors of illnesses in childhood like asthma, childhood obesity, on early onset diabetes, children with problems with learning, ADHD, all of these come from adverse childhood experiences, and they are so common. A good friend of mine, Dr. Nadine Burke, was a pediatrician who really worked on how those things show up in young children and found that they've added to that list of 10. There are four additional adverse childhood experiences that have been added, and one of them is poverty. One of them is racism. We already had uh, divorce and parents who were in distress and, you know, losses and things like that, but we now recognize there are four other traumas. So there are health implications, but, Michelle, here on Modern Love Radio, we're talking about love. 
So you have a very powerful process you've come up with called soul shifting. Tell us what that is and what it has to do with healing, ACEs, and trauma. First of all, you have to acknowledge what happened to you. Emotions are just like little children. They're, they're running around inside of us. They're going, notice me, notice me, look at this, look at this. And it's the habit of most of us to pretend we don't have emotions or especially if they're negative and uncomfortable ones, those didn't happen. So I know many people who have uh, had horrible experiences that pretend that they didn't happen and they just stuff those down inside their body and they begin then to cause really serious problems for people. So it's important for us to acknowledge that it happened. Something happened to you. Anything, my definition of trauma is anything that happens that rattles your perception and shakes your sense of safety in the world. So it could be anything from a friend that betrayed you to some of these more serious adverse childhood experiences that we've been talking about. And actually taking the ACEs test is really helpful for relationships because my husband has an ACEs score of perhaps one-half if we really fudge it. And my score is nine. And so I realized after a while when I say, you don't understand, he really doesn't because my worldview and his worldview don't even come together on many things. For example, safety. Um, I'm hypervigilant and he looks around like, what's your problem? Mm-hmm. But understanding your partner's ACEs score is very helpful to understanding how you relate to one another and how you look at the world, and and it makes a difference as to how how you can relate to each other. So one of the a, first things you can do is take a look at your ACEs score and see how each of you score. The second thing you're saying is also get in touch with these feelings that are going on And what's the best way, in your experience, Michelle, for people to express feelings? In the old days, there was a lot of emotive therapy, beating pillows, a lot of Hrykian work. I still think there's a lot of value in the body-based therapies. What have you found that's really helpful? Um, Alternative therapies have been most helpful for me. The, uh, The one that I say is most helpful is the emotion freedom technique, which is Basically, um, it's acupressure points that you tap on to release emotions. And that's been the most helpful for me. I've studied lots of different alternative medicine kind of things in order uh, on my search because I had had a really negative response to antidepressants and it endangered my family. So I wanted to, to look for the alternative ways to do it. And sometimes you need to have a guide. Find an expert who can help you through this because if you have, specifically if you have uh, fairly serious traumas in your life, you've gotten so good at sidestepping the pain and burying the pain and ignoring the pain. Or acting the pain out because there's a a lot of people, I just want to put that in because certainly after, you know, 30 years of working with, I swear, thousands and thousands of couples in our seminars and trainings, et cetera, there are the people who stuff, and there are the people who 
unstuff on somebody else. And yes. it can get very, very confusing because sometimes the stuffers keep it all in, keep it all in, keep it all in, and then they just explode. And then there are people who just explode all the time. So yes. the the flip side of that coin, I just want to mark that for those who are wondering whether it's relieving to just explode, actually, and I want to ask you, Michelle, I don't think it's relieving to explode in some sort of unguided way. What have you discovered? I've discovered that that's really detrimental to relationships to do that. Bingo. Um, Thank you. Okay, we are on the same page. So take us through a little bit more of the soul shift process. I wish we had more time. We've got a few minutes here. Kind of walk us through so people get a sense, because the first thing is discovery, looking at your own life, looking at your ACEs score, what did you go through as a child. You've come up with some feelings, and on top of those feelings, you have come up with some ways that you treat yourself and you treat other people. So where do they go from there in soul shifting? Once you have determined that you want to change your life, and that is the most exciting thing that you can understand is that your life is not set in stone. You can change your life so that you have it you look at things differently so that you get rid of all of that negative programming that's on your wall and you rewrite the things that you want to have on there. This is done through affirmations. Uh it's done through uh as I said actually having somebody guide you through some sort of process in order to release the emotions. And that's a very powerful thing. There's, and it's important also that, to realize that you will have the memory of the experience, but you won't relive it if you have the proper kind of guide because we don't want to re-traumatize people. So it's really important that you don't do that. Then when you go through and you erase, after you've collected all that and you've decided what you want to keep and what you don't want to keep, because you probably don't want to throw away everything in your life, but then you decide what it is that you do want in your life. So you let go of all of that other stuff. That's the L part of the soul shift. You just let go of it. And then you determine what you want to be when you grow up. And I don't care how old you are. You can be in your 90s, and you can still decide what it is you want to be when you grow up. What kind of a person do you want to be? And that's what this process does. It walks people through so that they can determine who they want to be. Tell us a story of someone you've worked with and who's used this process and gotten results. Okay. If if I may, I'll share two. They're very quick. Um, There was a gentleman who came to me who had a pornography addiction, and I was his absolute last resort because his wife said, I'm leaving you and I'm taking the children unless you get a handle on this. And so he he came to me almost without hope, and I was able to work through this process with him. And he had a memory that came up of something that happened when he was three years old, and that it triggered him really strongly. So he's going, oh, my goodness, that's what it is. And when you would look at it, you would think, why would that be the trigger for a pornography addiction? And we never really figured out what the trigger was, but he was able then to tap away all of the triggers for that. And today he actually is addiction recovery counselor because he... Great story. 
After it, it only took us three sessions, so essentially working Super. with you for three hours. And then, and then what's and the second story? Yeah, because it's the good other to one was, really hear how it works. The other one was a woman who who came to me because uh, she was trying to take a test to be a teacher, and she just couldn't pass it. She only had eight choice chances to take it, and she was on her seventh failure, and she just knew that she wasn't going to be able to do it. So she came to me, and we began exploring her childhood, and we came upon an, something that happened to her when she was in school as a child, a really negative, painful experience that had to do with taking tests. And then I was able to come to bring out of her another memory that she had of a teacher who was very supportive to her. And so then we we erased, through using the energy therapies, we erased the, the triggers for the, I'm, I'm a failure, I'll never be able to pass this test, and we implanted some things for her to remember how to do that her, the other teacher, as making the other teacher as the guide, as you will, it was all in her head, of course, but she was able to, when she went to take the test, she left my home immediately to go take the test, and she started to get really shaky. And then she remembered these little trigger points that I had given her, like one of them is to put your first three things together. Now, we only together. have a, a couple of minutes left. I want you to just zero in. If anyone is listening right now who wants to retrieve their love power from their childhood wounds, what would you like to leave them with? Imagine the kind of love life that you would like to have and first become that kind of a person yourself by getting rid of all of that inner garbage and have faith and hope because there's somebody out there who's going to think that you are wonderful and they will think you are their soulmate and you are because they've been looking for you all their lives. So the first step is envision, embody what you want and then become that through doing the work and trust yes. that the person you're looking for is looking for you. I like it. That's a great formula, Michelle. I really appreciate you sharing your wisdom with us. And it's ironic because I'm going to be leading a healing, intensive trauma healing circle tonight right here in my office. And EFT is one of the modalities that I use. So I can't say enough in support of our audience and everyone who's a regular part of Modern Love Radio knows that I'm a believer in building your library. Pick up Michelle's book, Suffering is Optional. Step out of darkness into light. It sounds like a wonderful guide with many of the research and science points that are important for us to know about with today's current research on ACEs, or adverse childhood experiences. And Michelle herself knows of what she speaks, and there's no better guide than a guide who's been down the path, who can show you the way. Right, Michelle? Absolutely. Those are the best kind. You've got it. All right, everyone, thank you so much for being with us. And next week, because it's Valentine's Week, it's the week when more people get engaged than any other day of the year, Valentine's Day is next Tuesday. And guess what? We have a Modern Love show for you. In honor of Valentine's Day, we will have one of the best-known romantic,
Celtic singers out there, Mr. Nicholas Beard, and he's going to talk about the music of love and how his career as well as his love life have been enhanced by music, and he might just sing a little something for us. So get in the mood for love. Nicholas is going to talk about that and the music of love. And I'd like to give a big shout-out. Again, thank you to our guest, Michelle Nagel, and her website, just so everyone can remember, this is isoulshift.com. I, as in I, me, I, soulshift.com. Thanks again, Michelle. Big shout-out to our executive producer, Mr. LeGrand Green, our associate producer, Mr. Cliff Dunning, and to all you modern lovers, jumpstart your love life right now with Modern Love Radio's Love Month. Blessings, everybody. Be with you next week.